Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, where we are set to continue our reflections into Chapter 12, and I do think we will get into Chapter 13 this evening. But before we get into Genesis, I just did want to offer you a, a bit of a preview into what we are going to be doing in the next few days. As promised, tomorrow we are going to hit the reset button with the world stage, and Father Mike and I are going to talk about the curious case of Benjamin Button. And uh, this evening, actually, we are going to be heading to the movie theater to watch The Great Showman, uh, because it is that movie we will talk about next week. So I'm really excited to talk about not only The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, but also The Great Showman, because from all reviews, (laughs) I don't think I have seen anything negative. A lot of positive uh, reviews there, for sure. So uh, Father Mike and I are very much looking forward to talking about that and uh, beforehand going to the movie theater. Uh, That being said, on Thursday... I am going to take up your questions, and I have received a question that I absolutely love, and to some extent maybe a question I have touched upon before, but not in this way. And the question was phrased like this, Joe, what are the kinds of questions we need to be asking if we are going to progress in the spiritual life? I like that. So your question is about the questions we need to be thinking about. Now, I don't want to tell you the kind of question you need to be thinking about in as much as there are questions out there that we do need to be thinking about that just in principle are foundational to the spiritual life if we are going to advance in our walk with God. So I look forward to taking up that question, which will probably have us looking at maybe three, four, potentially five questions. I have not fully prepared that response. So like I have said before, my friends, doing this radio program has been a great joy for me because while I might be perceived as, you know, this radio host who is a teacher, I too am the student who, when asked certain questions, am made to learn again, learn again, or learn anew from your inquiries, from your questions. So I very much appreciate your engagement with this radio program because it helps me think more critically about my own faith. I mean, to get the question asked, what are the questions we need to be thinking about challenged me all the more to make sure that I'm asking the right questions. And as I have begun to jot down some notes, I'm kind of prioritizing and and reorganizing certain questions. And again, I mean, certainly there are going to be some things that we have already talked about, but maybe not in this way. So I, I really do encourage you to tune in Thursday evening if you are serious about the spiritual life and willing to seek to go deeper in the spiritual life, and by the grace of God, go all of us, as that is really what uh, our walk with God is all about. All right, with that, what I want to do, if you have your Bibles out, is turn to chapter 12. We did leave off with, I think, verse 10. So what I want to do is read chapter 12, verses uh, 10 to 20, offer up a brief reflection into what is going on here with Abram 
and uh, Sarai, or Serai, as it has also been pronounced in Egypt, and then offer up a, a commentary to chapter 13 a little bit. And of course, in chapter 13, we have those initial verses that are devoted to Abram and Lot, and the fact that, you know, they are separating in chapter 13, what's going on there. So, okay, chapter 12, verse 10 and following. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to uh, Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful to behold, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me. I mean, <laughs> do you ever just read sacred scripture and <laughs> ask yourself, gosh, that's just so human. If you're anything like me, you do that all the time. <laughs> all right, so we continue. Uh, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princess of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, he-donkeys, men-servants, maid-servants, she-donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and be gone. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him on the way with his wife and all that he had. Okay, so in these verses from chapter 12, verse 10, up to really chapter 13, no sooner does Abram arrive in Canaan than his family is forced into Egypt. Does this story sound familiar? Certainly, parallels with the Exodus story show that Abram is very much kind of pre-enacting the Exodus event. Like Israel, the patriarch journeys to Egypt because of a what? Famine in Canaan. But he eventually comes out, right? And comes out with great wealth because God sends plagues upon the house of Pharaoh. You know, as you've heard me talk a great deal about that all-important word typology, which is the study of types, which is the study of pattern, right? Patterns between the Old and New Testament. We have to also appreciate that element of recapitulation within the Old Testament itself. What do I mean? Well, what does the word recapitulation mean? That just simply means another appearance of the same type. We saw this between the creation narrative and the flood narrative, right? Language that is eerily similar. Well, just like that, we have another recapitulation um, in that the Exodus event is very much a recapitulation or a very similar story to that of uh, what is going on here in these verses. As we become more adept to how to read the Old Testament, as the flood narrative is very similar to the creation narrative, as the Exodus narrative is very similar to Abram and Sarai in Egypt, we are to see that golden thread, right? Because 
It's just not enough to say, huh, that's interesting. Look at all the similarities. Look at all the parallels. That's part of it. But there's an advancement in the narrative. And that advancement is how, yes, while things are going on that are very similar in how God works in salvation history, the family itself, God's chosen people, they are expanding. And in this way, it very much projects towards Christ. The Old and New Testament is all about the promise and fulfillment structure, the way in which the whole Old Testament is a movement towards Christ and how he's going to fulfill the great covenant, and not only fulfill the great covenant of the Old Testament, but at once transform it, perfect it, and call us to share in it, right? So how might we see the expansion of size? Well, look at Adam and Eve. There in that covenant, you had two. Look at Noah. How many did you have there? Well, eight. Now it's a household. What about Abraham? That household has grown to be a family, a clan, a tribe. What about Moses? Now it's a nation. Moses is in charge of a nation. So while there are all of these recapitulations or threads that bring about a very similar story, in the end, it's about how God advances this story, specifically to how his family is expanding, how the chosen people are expanding. This is the point that I want us to appreciate this evening, because as we do it is going to afford us the opportunity to really better understand how God has worked in salvation history from Genesis to the book of Revelation. Every single time you go into the Old Testament and you read a particular verse, be challenged by a particular verse, always keep in mind that God is doing something in history to bring about not only a greater good, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense at first glance, but ultimately to advance his family. Somehow, some way, he is going to write straight with crooked lines. And yes, I know that means sometimes rolling up your sleeves and working in the tall grass as I have talked about it before. But that's just part of studying sacred scripture, right? Because is not sacred scripture the inspired word of God? If we are in courtship, with our beloved in Jesus Christ, then we need to be thinking about how sacred scripture is that family heirloom that is going to allow us to better understand who Jesus Christ is so that we might love him all the more. What did St. Jerome once say? You've heard it before. Ignorance of scriptures is ignorance of Christ. So important to really get to know sacred scripture, that sacred scripture might form your conscience and as it does, that you might find yourself going deeper in your faith. What was it that uh, <laughs> Mark Twain once said? He has a, a great line. He says, you know, uh, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. <laughs> That's Mark Twain. It's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. And so what Mark Twain is saying there is once you encounter truth, once you encounter divine revelation, you are what? You are challenged by truth and divine revelation. God is inviting you to go deeper. And what does that mean? Change. If you don't understand something, it's not going to invite you to change, right? 
That's why Mark Twain says what he says. But in coming to understand what the Bible says, now that I fear, he says, because in the end, that is the great challenge. Now, he says this, of course, playfully, but also seriously, that we might come to appreciate the significance of what it means to encounter the Word of God. And so, as I reflect into this, I do so that we might see the seriousness of just not reading sacred scripture, but contemplating its deeper meaning for us personally in our relationship with Him, first and foremost, always. But as we do that, as we seek to better understand sacred scripture, we do ask those necessary questions, those questions that involve a deeper understanding of how God has worked in salvation history. In the case of what we are talking about this evening, gosh, I mean, to see how Abram and Sarai's story prefigures, pre-enacts the Exodus is uh, enticing at the very least, as is the creation narrative with the flood narrative. Okay, so with all of that, we arrive at chapter 13, where Abram and Lot separate. So we read chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to take the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, Ai again, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. We talked about that yesterday, right? And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Now, let us stop there. What is Abram saying? Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are brothers in Christ. Now, kinsmen literally means brothers, but it is a term that is used for various family relations beyond uh, that, that of biological male siblings, right? The relation between Abram and Lot, as we know from chapter 11, verse 27, is what? But that of uncle and nephew right? This is why when we read in the New Testament of Jesus having brothers, uh, the Greek there is adelphos, a kinsman. Uh, The best rendering there is actually cousins. Our Lord had cousins, rightfully so. Uh, So when you read of brothers, it's not that uh, he had older siblings or, or younger siblings per se. No, he had cousins. Now, another very important piece here with verse 8 is what? that we are our brother's keeper, for we are kinsmen. Why would there be strife? My dear friends, for those of you who are at odds with someone who is close to you, for one reason or another, I beg of you, make amends. Make amends. What does Jesus say in the gospel? 
before you go to the altar of God, make peace with your brother, lest there be strife, lest there be brokenness. No, one of the great marks of the church is unity. We have to learn the language of forgiveness. We have to learn the language of bearing offenses patiently. We have to be willing to swallow our pride, be humble, and enter into that dynamism. That is what it means to be a son or daughter of God. Let there not be strife. Let there not be angst. Let there not be bitterness, resentment. Those are agents of the adversary. And if we think we are justified in that resentment and in bitterness and anger, neither here nor there, my friends, neither here nor there for one simple reason. You are not free. You are not free. And I've talked about this a great deal. All we have to do is look at the cross to contemplate the deeper meaning of the cross when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The very one who he came to save is the very one who sent him to the cross. If you are saying to yourself right now, well, you don't understand, Joe. You don't understand everything that I did for this person or that person. And if you did, you wouldn't say anything else. No, I'm not going to pretend that I know the minutia of your particular situation. But what I do know is that overarching Christian truth. We are kinsmen in Christ. Let us heed those words from Abram. He goes on in verse 9, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, while Lot dwelt among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot separated from him, Lift up your eyes. And look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the lands which you see I will give to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your descendants also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Once again, <laughs> there you have the importance of building an altar to the Lord. We must remember something, that it is never enough to just be given uh, a new land, because for Abram, and consequently for God's chosen people, it's never about just being another autonomous nation. No, you are given land for a purpose. You are given your tent for a purpose. And that purpose is for what? But worship. That it becomes a land that is sanctified by God. I mean, if you were to really distill this point and apply it to your everyday life, consider it. It's not enough that you were just given this house or that house to become just another family. 
You were called to sanctify the very house that you live in. And when you sanctify that house you live in, God will make his presence known. We as families are the cell to society. That was an important phrase to St. John Paul II. We are colonial outposts, if you will, to the larger church. And if we are going to build up this civilization into a civilization of love, it starts with the family. And it starts with a family who is rooted in prayer. That the land we live on each and every day, 24-7, is holy ground. Holy ground. Imagine the next person that walks through your door upon entering your house says to you, Wow, I feel the presence of holiness. I feel the presence of God. Not because of necessarily what you do, but what God is doing through you. We know that God has arrived if, in fact, we hear those words. Certainly, this was quintessential for Abram and something he learned from who? But Noah, right? What did, what did Noah do? What was the first thing that Noah did once he found land? He built an altar. This is part of that sequence. This is, this is part of that uh, rhyme scheme, if you will. I was just quoting Mark Twain earlier as it relates to studying sacred scripture, well, he, he has another great quote, and it's this. History never repeats itself exactly, but it does have a rhyme scheme. I love that. Certainly, this is what we've been talking about this evening, this, this great rhyme scheme that is the recapitulation in the Old Testament. So certainly uh, some things to think about there. Now, of course, chapter 13 as a whole is very much about Abram and Lot dividing their company and going their separate ways. The point is that Lot, of his own free will, of his own free doing, chooses to put himself outside the land of promise and into a land of moral corruption. What do we read in verse 12? Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, while Lot dwelt among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So Lot chose to go his separate way. Brothers and sisters, life itself is nothing but one choice after another. To live is to choose, and ultimately to choose in God is always to deny self, because when you deny self, you are doing something for the greater good. Every time I deny myself, I am saying no to me that I might ultimately be able to say yes to you. That's the great wisdom behind self-denial. So free will is very important. What is that um, great line that comes to us from the writings of John Paul II? That history is not some random series of chronological events. No, it is an event of freedom, an event of choosing right from wrong, good from evil. That is what defines history. Individuals define history. History does not just spring forth from non-event, non-individual. It's not like it's something that is abstract. No, everything that has given shape and form to history as we know it, which incidentally means to weave a pattern, by the way, <laughs> is defined by the choice 
So we make choices each and every day. We choose for God and against God each and every day. And this is why the general examine is so important, where at the end of our day, we kind of look back into our day. And as one Jesuit put it, we kind of rummage through our day to find God, right? Or rummage through our day to maybe identify where Satan was working. So important. Because if we are doing that, if we are looking back on our day and asking those questions, gosh, Jesus, I, I saw you there and I didn't recognize it then, but I did see you there and I recognized you there. But gosh, I didn't even think about you over here. And boy, in that meeting, in that encounter, you weren't even on my radar screen. I mean, you, you go through that kind of reflection, a, a looking back, if you will. What it's ultimately going to lead to over time is more days of being present to God. In the end, my friends, it's all about being in courtship with God, right? And if you are busy about examining your relationship with God, in the same way you, you might be busy about examining your relationship with your beloved, it will strengthen. And if you are serious about changing the things that you need to change to strengthen your relationship with God, then it will happen. But that practice of doing a general examination is very important, which again is that rummaging through your day to see where God was and where God was not. And as you do to make sure that you are doing everything in your power the next day to make more room for God in the places where he was not in the previous day. And this is a practice that never stops. This is a practice that really we need to do each and every day. Uh, this past weekend, Dan Burke, a best-selling author and well-known speaker, was at St. John the Baptist Catholic Church here in Chico. And uh, there was one particular practice he does that I have never really heard of before, but I loved it. He says, we ought to practice the first fruits. First fruits, certainly there's the feast of first fruits, where you, know, where you offer to Thanksgiving for the first fruits of the harvest. Well, that essentially is what he meant by this practice of, of first fruits, that you really do wake up in the morning and just give praise and thanks to God for what he is doing in your life. And as you give thanks and praise to God for what he is doing in your life and for all of the blessings in your life, that in of itself is going to bring about a deeper awareness into where God is working in your life. And certainly it will strengthen your nightly examines. So some very practical things to, I think, think about this evening as uh, we wrap up our reflections into chapter 13. There was one other piece I wanted to get to, and I think I'll just wait until next week to talk about this. It's the very specific relationship between what takes place at the end of Genesis chapter 13 and Jacob in Genesis 28. We'll just leave that for, for next week. Anyhow, if you have any questions, thoughts, comments, observations about anything we've talked about this evening, again, this uh, Thursday, I'm going to take up your question about the questions we need to be thinking about as we seek to advance uh, in the spiritual life. Now, I concluded this evening with a brief reflection into the importance of the examine, and I can assure you I will be talking more about that on Thursday. Okay, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We pray all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 
and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.